Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. Before I get started, I wanted to let everybody know that I am finally going to be doing that epic live stream this Saturday that I have been talking about for almost a year and a half now. So I posted a trailer on social media. It is one of the most fun things I've ever worked on in my entire life, so I would really, really appreciate a retweet for that. Uh, and of course, if you're around on Saturday, please join. If not, it'll be you know it'll be up there just like all the other live streams. But this one's going to be a really fun one. Um, check out the trailer for more info, and I really hope everybody enjoys it. But for now, let's jump in and see what we got for this week. First up, there's a new firmware for the XStation optical drive emulator for the PlayStation 1. And this one adds a bunch of bug fixes and improvements like um, adding more support for different types of SD and micro SD cards, as well as some fixes for certain games um, that improve performance and help accuracy and timing of games that are relying on the exact timing of the CD drive to function properly. So that's a kind of a no-brainer. If you have an XStation, definitely update this one. The update just involves dropping two files in a folder and then when you boot your playstation press a button and hit firmware update it's about as easy as you could ask for there's also more features being added for the mem card pro and ps1 digital game id sending but i'll have more info on that in a few days i was really struggling to get it out before this week's podcast but i had a bunch of other stuff i absolutely had to do and I really wanted to do that trailer too. So, so sorry for the delay. You should have more info out and possibly even a video on all of that extra stuff in a couple of days or so. But it's uh, definitely some cool updates and some components for the PlayStation that all work together to do some really awesome stuff. But more on that in a bit. Next, pre-orders were open on the Jaguar game drive, but they sold out pretty quickly. I did want to take a moment to kind of give everybody an update on that project, though, just because there were a lot of weird rumors going around about it, and there was a name change, so that definitely would excuse a lot of the confusion that people had about it. But basically, the Jaguar game drive is a ROM cart for the Atari Jaguar made by Saint of Retro HQ, and it works awesome. I reviewed it when it first came out under the original name. Uh, you know, I just kind of showed the basic overview of it, but I took that video down because I didn't want the old name out there. And to be honest, it wasn't my best video. I must have been having a bad week or something. So I will make sure to have another video of that up at some point. Maybe I'll do like a Atari Jaguar hardware accessories or something fun like that. Uh, but overall, it's a great ROM cart. It's reliable, but you weren't able to buy it for a long time. I think because of the required name change and because of trying to manufacture these, both the PCBs, the cases, everything that goes around, uh, goes into that stuff. I think Saint just kind of put the project on pause and wanted to start from scratch and figure out all of those things again. So it looks like a bunch of different stores were able to pick them up. Uh, you could have pre-ordered them through Stone Age Gamer and Retro Gamer stuff. Um, the allotted amounts they had already sold out, but they should be getting more in, you know, in a somewhat reasonable amount of time, not a year or anything like that. Um, 
there's also some kind of pre-order list over on Atari Age, but I don't really understand how any of that works. And absolutely no disrespect to Al or any of the crew at Atari Age. I, I don't mean that in a negative way. I'm just being honest in that I don't really understand at all why there's two different sets of pre-orders or anything. So um, if you're one of the people that signed up for the list on Atari Age, you're going to want to have to go through there for all of your info. I kind of got nothing on on that one. But uh, as far as Stone Age Gamer and Retro Gamer stuff goes, uh, they already sold out their allotted batch, but they're probably going to do another pre-order or just get stock in at some point. Um, also, Saint is working on Jaguar CD support, uh, and Control-Alt-Reese also did a video about it that kind of shows the beta form. Now, there's no release date on this. I would hope that Saint would have something out for people by the time that these uh, units start to ship, but no pressure. Whenever it gets done, it gets done. And I'm definitely excited about this because, you know, while I truly try to buy all of my favorite games, the only scenarios in which I don't are when they're absolutely astronomically expensive like neo turf masters for the neo geo aes right i'm, I'm never buying that game <laughs> and jaguar cds you know the games themselves are cool and they're i don't think they're too expensive but the jaguar cd drives are expensive they barely work um so i would just love a way to experience these games on real hardware and original real hardware and i think the uh, jaguar game drive is probably going to be the easiest way for everybody to do that so that's certainly coming up in the future. So basically, if you're a fan of the JAG, um, keep an eye on these. I will, of course, let everybody know when pre-orders reopen or when somebody gets stock of them. Um, but overall, it's just a cool cart. And the only other neat thing um, that I'm not sure how much detail uh, Saint has posted about this, but when I got the original game drive, which, you know, the original name for it and everything, I had a problem where my Jaguar wouldn't really boot uh, original games like real Jaguar carts. So you'd have to, you know, unplug and replug power cycle a bunch of times. I tried all of the fixes that are posted out there and the game drive would boot every time, but would sometimes lock up loading games. You know, when you click on them and they load them to memory. So I sent my Jaguar and the ROM cart back to Saint. He was gracious enough to look at that for me, which was really nice of him to do. I think he even recapped it for me. So definitely owe him a favor on that one. But it turns out that the revision Jaguar I had has a bug from the factory where that will happen with original cartridges. So he was able to add a fix to the cart where if it detects that version, it does something different so that it works consistently every time. So I just think it's hysterical that while I do have a decent enough sized Jaguar cartridge collection, uh, I'm always going to use the ROM cart now because it boots every time and the games load every time I choose them. So I just uh, I just felt like it was worth bringing everybody up to speed on the project, the advantages, the features, what's coming. Uh, I'm certainly sorry that I tweeted about it and it sold out by the time I'm talking about it here, but kind of it is what it is when it comes to these lower runs of productions. And when I say lower, I, I, you know, they didn't make 50 of them. They made quite a bit, but when a bigger companies make products, they usually make them in runs of 10,000, 50,000. But, you know, that's why some of this stuff is more expensive. And that's why some of this stuff uh, sells out so quick, because nobody really has the budget to do that for a product that might not sell those numbers in the retro gaming world. So, um, you know, while I would always love to see this stuff in stock, I do understand why a lot of it is out of stock all the time. And wanted to talk about that briefly, too, just because so many people get frustrated, like, oh, this is bull 
bullshit. You could never buy anything in retro gaming. Well, that's kind of why. So, you know, I've talked about this a lot on other podcasts and stuff, but that's kind of the short, short version of everything. So uh, I'll keep everybody posted as to when they're going to be back up for sale. Uh, links are in this post if you want to bookmark them yourself. And uh, just good luck to everybody, uh, whoever is making these in production, because I, I would love to have this in stock and ready for people to buy. I just finished a written review of the Time Harvest Picture Adjust Box, as well as the JAMA Adapter. And I kind of figured I would just reiterate all of my findings here and do like a mini review in this podcast. But basically, there's two types of adapters here. There's the Picture Adjust Box and the JAMA Adapter. Um, and both of them, sh when turned on, shift the image left or right up and down. Um, I tested them for lag. It doesn't add lag at all, which I didn't expect it to, but there was some speculation that it might have. Um, it just uses a circuit that I've seen floating around on a bunch of different devices now that I think might have been based off of Tim Worthington's circuit. Uh, and there's a, even actually a open source board available for that on OSH Park. Uh, I think it's all based off the same stuff, but it worked really well in the JAMA version. Um, I was able to plug this into my mini MVS, which I already had configured for the Neo Geo MV1C board, and it was centered pretty well. But every time I wanted to add a different arcade board to it, as would happens very often with arcade boards, sometimes it wouldn't quite line up. So adding this device made it super easy to just press a button and adjust the horizontal and vertical orientation. Now, many arcade machines that are designed for multiple boards, like candy cabs, have these controls externally anyway, and you wouldn't need this at all. But if your arcade machine is one that was built for one dedicated board, like a Mortal Kombat machine or something, um, those horizontal and vertical controls might be buried on the chassis somewhere, as they were with my Mini MVS. It was far easier to reach in and grab one of these than it would be to go in with a mini screwdriver and carefully adjust potentiometers. And more importantly, when I was done, I would just press the off button and it would go right back to the way it was with just my MV1C in there. Um, I didn't hook it up to an oscilloscope, but it only messes with the sync line, um, and arcade machines are a lot more robust about that, so I wasn't too worried. But when I got the opportunity to test the picture adjust box, I thought, okay, well, now there's a lot more margin for error because when you're talking about SCART devices, voltage is a really big deal. And not only that, you have a much wider tolerances of signals that have to go through it, which might seem weird because, you know, arcade machines also have a pretty big swing in voltage, but because they the machines themselves can accept generally a bigger swing, it's not as big a deal. So... I put this thing through its paces, and the first thing I tested that while there are two inputs and two outputs, it is one device at a time only, period. No doubt. Um, now, Time Harvest never... Uh, never advertised it as a dual output device or anything like that, but I just wanted to make sure that was clear and that you could either go SCART in or SCART out or SCART in an RCA connector out, which is really handy if you're going into like a Sony PVM or something like that or anything with BNC connectors. And same thing, you could use direct RCAs in, but only one input and one output could be connected at the same time. Also, RGB isn't touched at all. It's just passed through. And when you turn the sync button on, uh, the vertical and horizontal position changes do seem to work fine, but it does change the voltage. And I was pretty cautious about this, and I tested a handful of consoles, 
and it seems to be safe to use, including when uh, the situation of you have a SCART cable with a sync stripper in it, you plug it into this device, turn it on, it itself has a sync circuit, so what happens then? It seemed to be fine. Now, if you're one of the crazy people like me that has a full setup with uh, the equipment that's required to measure this stuff in oscilloscope, even a cheap one, I would always double check just for the heck of it. But generally speaking, if you're using this box to go into an RGB monitor that can handle, uh, you know, both 75 ohm and TTL sync, which most PVMs can, most Sony PVMs and BVMs actually. I wouldn't worry at all. It should be fine. You shouldn't have any safety issues. If you're going into SCART equipment like a Switch or the OSSC, it should be fine. You know, it, all of my testing showed that it was fine, but this is another device that you're adding that could potentially add issues. So definitely put it at the end of the chain if possible and kind of go from there. Um, the only issue is the particular box that I tested. Um, the reason I got into a conversation with the person is because theirs kept dropping sync on their Sony PVM monitor that is not sensitive to sync at all. So I asked to borrow it to do this review. I was able to hook it up to my monitor, uh, the D9H, which is one of the most finicky monitors I've ever used in my life. And just leaving it plugged in, you know, it just had color bars up on the screen, not even using it. Every once in a while, you'd hear the monitor click because it was losing sync and come back. Uh, and these D9Hs also do the, the sync curl thing every now and then for like SMS and PC Engine. And you could just sit there and watch it. It would go from normal to curled to normal to curled. So I don't know what was wrong with mine in particular. Um, there were certainly a bunch of odd bodges on this one that I don't really know how or why. I'm not sure if they're going to show up in the video here, but um, no, probably not. But it was definitely strange to see. Uh, so I don't know, maybe this one just had a defect on it or something. Um, I've talked to other people, Pete from Monkey, M Monkey, I never really know how to say it, Triple M Monkey, but uh, he has a couple of these and he said it didn't drop sync for him, but he didn't know how long he used it for. I would guess that his are fine because I mean, within 10 seconds, it started dropping. So overall, my recommendation, um, the JAMA version, I think it's totally safe to use. I didn't have any problems, and I certainly appreciated having controls right there. Uh, I would really have preferred if it was in some kind of JAMA extension cable. I think having that that was built into some kind of extension with also an RGB uh, gain drop on it. So all the way up is pass through and then you could drop the voltage. Um, I think that might be helpful too for people who have multiple arcade boards. Just take the arcade board that outputs the lowest brightness, calibrate your arcade machine to that one, and then all of the other ones will be too bright, but use this, grab the knob and turn it down you never have to mess with your main chassis. You could just mess with this. And if you connect it wrong, if you have a wrong setting, just unplug it or turn it off. So I'd love to see that version of it made. Uh, I talked to Ashenworks and hoped that they might be able to look into that because the SCA 101 switch that I reviewed has these controls as well. So that would be pretty cool. On the, the picture adjust box, um, it seems safe. I would just, if yours has any problems, contact them and say, hey, I got a, a bum one. The um, you know, Definitely check out the pictures if you're interested, but some of the bodges they did do make me a little nervous. That certainly would open up 
you know, it, it would make it easy for things to go wrong, you know, components to pop off in shipping, whatever else, but it seems okay. It seems cool. So use it with caution as with any new device that you would ever plug into a SCART setup. And, uh, you know, if, if you're in a scenario in which you really do need a lot of picture control for centering and you don't want to keep messing with your monitor, it might actually be a great addition. This next one is both super simple and kind of complicated. So I'll spit it out at first and then explain. Uh, and if you don't care about the explanation, just skip on to the next section. But Castlemania Games is now selling a pigtail adapter that allows you to use HD Retrovision Genesis 2 cables with any PC engine that's been modified with a Voltar RGB board and a full-sized 8-pin DIN, not the mini DIN. So that might... It sound a little confusing, but it is actually one of the most popular ways that you could RGB mod these consoles. Essentially, you take the consoles that already have a DIN on them for composite video and stereo audio, you remove that DIN and you replace it with one that has more pins on it to support RGB. Uh, Voltar has a video that I embedded here that talks specifically about that, and he also showed that in one of his uh, PC Engine mod videos as well. Um, and it will fit into that as long as the board itself is made properly. And of course, everything's installed properly. Um, and that's definitely going to require a little more explanation here. Uh, this isn't about exclusivity to Voltar or anything like that. Um, it's about knowing exactly what signal is coming out of the board and knowing that you're getting a board that's been consistently made right. And I am absolutely not throwing shade to any other modder or board maker out there. There's a ton of boards that will absolutely work perfect, made by good people that know what they're doing. Uh, it's just a nightmare to support all that stuff. So for all of the right reasons, Castlemania Games is just saying, you know, the adapter is only officially supported if you have a Voltar board installed, but a lot of the other ones will work right. I do completely understand Ryan's position on that, though, because it's so hard to keep up with bad mod boards. And there was even a notorious cloner that cloned one of Voltar's boards even cloned the revision number, and there were some issues with the build quality on those. So I do completely understand why you would say, you know, only officially supported with this one thing. But honestly, if you have a board that's built pro built properly, everything should work fine with this with the HD retrovisions. Um, I, it might work with uh, uh, SCART cables too, but I think this is designed specifically for the Genesis 2 HD retrovisions. Um, and at that point too, you you know, I would just buy the, the right RGB SCART cable anyway for these. I don't like to use pigtails for a number of reasons. So if you have a core graphics, a super graphics, or any of the duos that you RGB modded and replaced the DIN with an 8-pin full-sized DIN, now you could pick one of these up to use with the HD retrovisions. Here's a really interesting one for fans of software emulation. A Twitter user named Hey Joe Way has released a modified version of the Genesis Plus GX emulator that allows for true 16 by 9 widescreen on Genesis games. Now, I'm not talking about stretching it like those crazy 16 by 9ers, but actually a true 16 by 9 aspect ratio, which is done by increasing the draw distance. Uh, I believe Heijo Wei said that he set the max resolution of the emulator to be wider, uh, which is an additional 10, 8, uh, 10 8 pixel wide columns, and shifted the horizontal scroll over by half to center it. 
Some games work well because they update at the very edge of the drawing plane, and other games don't work as well because they update at the very edge of the screen. So you can see here in an example, um, Tanglewood uh, at the moment is the is the type that would kind of be where most Genesis games would look like in this scenario. So you see some interference on the side of the screen. Uh, Matt, the creator of Tanglewood, actually said he'd look into creating a patch for it so it wouldn't do this, but it's a great example, and I'm glad Chris used Tanglewood because I'm always really happy to promote people who are creating new retro games. But also, I was able to watch Chris in real time check out Sonic as well as Mortal Kombat. And Sonic was patched, so you're able to see the full screen and uh, both sides of the screen draw at the same time, so it looks like it's a native 16 by 9 game. And I don't believe Mortal Kombat was patched, but that just seemed to work fine anyway. So, uh, and, and you know, with Mortal Kombat too, anybody who remembers playing that game, when you walk left or right, it scrolls a little bit on each side you only have about half of the playing field there so it just extends that so it scrolls less and you could see more walking around so i thought they were both pretty neat uh, these are the reasons that i love software emulation whenever you're able to do stuff that you're not able to do on real hardware and because of the way that this is done i'm not sure that this would even be able to be done with fpga hardware emulation um, now i am just randomly speculating here that everybody who works on the mr team does some crazy and amazing things all the time so i'm not i'm not sure if this is something that could be done with that um, but at the moment i would expect it to really just be software emulation only and expect your average game to look like how i just showed tanglewood with the interference at the side of the screen and any patched games or occasionally you might run into a game where you do get it pretty flawlessly so um, you know overall check it out if you're into software emulation and i'm definitely excited about the project Project, just just because I love to see old games played in new and different ways. I recently did a write-up on a Mr. feature that's both very basic and awesome, but also very complicated and technical at the same time. So like before, I'll skip to the end and then go back over everything in detail for anybody that wants to hear it. Um, so basically, this write-up is about a way of taking a DE10 that's been configured as a Mr. and getting RGBS output without an I.O. board. All you need is an HDMI to VGA converter, something very cheap and basic. Um, most of these cheap DACs don't add lag at all. And then just a VGA to BNC cable going directly into a PVM or a standard Mr. SCART cable, which is essentially a D-sub to SCART with a resistor on the sync line to drop the voltage down. And what makes this important is that you don't need any kind of sync combiners or anything like that. You just need the very basics that what I just said, as well as just some changes to the INI file. So if uh, if you already have a Mr. Setup or this doesn't interest you, skip on to the next station, uh, next section. But if this is of an interest, let me kind of dig in. So first, before I even get to the details, I wanted to do a, a quick primer and write-up about how to easily switch between INI files. And I honestly didn't even know that this was a thing until a Track 17 walked me through some of the mode lines that they've been generating. And all you have to do is create a copy of your Mr. INI file and rename it underscore alt underscore one, two, or three, and then make whatever necessary changes that you want. 
Now, this could be for multiple outputs. This could uh, output configurations, I mean, such as going from a CRT or a flat panel. It could be using these custom mode lines and different resolutions. But basically, you boot to Mr. Uh, once it's fully booted, you hold whatever you've configured as the back button and either up, left, or down to hit the alternate files or hit right to go back to the main Mr. I and I. Once it switches over, any soft boot should go back to the menu with whatever alternate I and I file you've selected, and any hard boot or hard reset would make, go just back to the default Mr. I and I file. So this is great for the mode lines thing, but it was directly relevant to this because if you have a setup that you normally use on a flat panel, but sometimes use on a CRT or vice versa, configure the Mr. INI for your main setup. And then when you're using the other setup, just simply hold down the button combination and switch it. Uh, and very specifically, uh, if your main setup is flat panel and your secondary setup is CRT, boot the Mr wait a few seconds and set the new INI file before turning on your CRT just to make sure that it's not sending some crazy signal that it can't understand. Uh, it's always better to do it that way. But basically, here's how this whole thing works. Um, the Mr. Team was able to configure what they're calling direct video output, which is a way of sending super resolution 240p so uh, out through the HDMI jack. And the reason you want to do that is because most HDMI chips don't understand the low resolution of 320 by 240 or any of the other ones around that. So sending a really wide horizontal resolution, stretching that 320 or 256 to something like 1174, that doesn't matter at all on a CRT because it just draws whatever you have on the horizontal lines right into that same 4 by 3 aspect ratio. Uh, and then it sends the proper vertical height and frequency, which is really the only thing a CRT cares about. Um, the CPS HDMI does this and a few other devices as well. I kind of went over that in the CPS HDMI video. Um, but doing it this way, uh, it should work with pretty much any CRT at all. I don't I think I've ever had a problem running super resolution into a CRT and even into my capture cards. I think some splitters I may have had an issue with, but if you're a streamer, you could even, as long as your splitter is compatible, go from your mister into a splitter, uh, out to a capture card and to a CRT, and then you just manually set your capture card. Uh, I actually just use OBS to change the vertical resolution to match the horizontal, and that's it. I, I showed it in the CPS HDMI video. So that's kind of an overview of how it works. Um, you also have to change two settings in the Mr. INI file. Direct, you have to add a line that says direct video equals one, and that, that's what sets it uh, to this mode. And then composite sync equals one is what allows it to get RGBS from the HDMI port. And I, once again, I have no idea how they're doing this. <laughs> uh, I'd love to have a, a sit down and have it explained to me, but I don't even really know if I'd understand afterwards. But Composite sync is zero, should let it uh, go out normal RGBHV through the converter. Composite sync is one, should allow for RGBS, which is what allows all of this to happen. Um, now, the only other thing to note is if you're using component video, you would probably be better off with an I.O. board because HDMI to component video adapters don't work with this. You could take an HDMI to VGA adapter and then build a very special custom cable with a circuit in there that allows you to get component video from that. 
But unless you really know what you're doing and you like hobby projects, I would strongly recommend just buying the I.O. board. Um, and if you want dual output that's compatible with everything, the I.O. board's also good. Plus, it has the user I.O. port and a bunch of other awesome features. So this direct out mode is really just for people that um, that just want the quickest and easiest way to do this or for somebody that knows that they're only going to be using it on a CRT so they don't they're you know dual output isn't really worth it to them now you could technically use this even with a light gun but then you would need the user IO or the user IO board with that port on there as well so at that point just get the full expansion board and don't mess with any of this but it is pretty neat because it doesn't add any lag whatsoever it doesn't go through a buffer of any kind it just sends that raw data right out through the hdmi port so i thought that was a really neat feature and the only other thing that um, i definitely wanted to mention was full versus limited colors because i've had a few people say that the mister seems a bit too bright and um, in digging through a lot of that, we found that some people were using audio extractors or splitters that don't support the full color range. So you could also go and edit your Mr. I and I file to set the limited range to one or two. Um, reference everything right here in the post uh, if you're having that issue, but that's definitely something to mention as well. Uh, but overall, I just think it's pretty incredible all of the different things that you could do with a mister. And while this may have been super technical and not something that was a total fit uh, into a weekly podcast, I, it's something that I wanted to get the word out there for because a lot of people don't want to dip their toe in the water of something if they feel like it's going to be a money pit. And buying a D10, which is an awesome device that you could use for a bunch of stuff, uh, and heck, not even buying a RAM card at first or a RAM module. You could just use a couple of cores and a couple of games without it. You could just basically buy a D10, configure the SD card, and then use a cheap HDMI to VGA DAC and a cheap VGA to BNC cable, and now you're gaming on an RGB monitor for the lowest price possible getting into Mister. So I definitely wanted to share that as well as the swapping between the INI files and really highlight the whole RGBS thing. So, uh, you know, if you're into Mister, please check out this post and I'll keep everybody updated as to all the awesome different features it has. And I will definitely be doing either a video or a video series on the Mister at some point this year that really digs into both basic and advanced configurations like this one. Now, before I even start this next section, I want to make it clear that this is kind of a post about a teaser. There are no pre-orders or official price or anything yet. However, Retro Gamer Store, the same person who made those really high-quality PC Engine cases uh, and controller cases that were smoke gray and smoke clear, has just teased a completely clear Super Nintendo shell replacement, which is something a lot of people, including myself, have been asking for for a very long time. Now, there's no official anything yet on this because they still need to determine if one case shell can handle all of the fat Super Nintendo motherboards, and there's a bunch of different model revisions in there. Um, I, I think it's possible, but I'm not 100% sure, and neither are they, so they want to double check. And you know, without knowing that, you can't really say anything about pre-order window or price, because if you have to have two shells, that's going to change the price and would delay the pre-orders. So I will absolutely keep everybody updated and let anybody know whenever there is any more information about this. But it was already out there on the internet. You know, I, I usually like for stuff like this, people to wait until 
final information's out, but it was already out there, so I wanted to talk about it and keep everybody in the loop and make sure you get the right info on it and everything. But I'm very, very excited for this. Um, there are so many cracked, yellowed Super Nintendo shells out there that could really use a replacement like this. And alternatively, there's a lot of people that probably just would love to have an upgrade like this, and now they could sell their current nice-looking shells to other Super Nintendo owners who have yellowed ones. So... Fingers crossed that this will all come out really soon, but it definitely looks awesome, and I'm looking forward to purchasing one. A prototype of a product called the Gun to CRT was just shown off that allows you to use a PlayStation GunCon controller on any CRT-based emulation system. Now, that includes any PC, Raspberry Pi, or Mr. that's connected to a CRT. Uh, how it works is pretty interesting. So the PlayStation GunCon controllers have two connectors on them. One is just a standard PlayStation controller, and the other is a composite video input and output. And that is so it reads the sync information inside the composite video line in order to know where exactly on the screen things are going to be when you shoot at it. And the gun to CRT adapter interfaces with both of those in a pretty interesting way. So you plug both into it, and then you take an RGB HV output. So standard VGA, but in almost any CRT-based resolution. So as low as 240p, so direct video output from any of these devices, all the way up to about 1024 by 768, maybe a little bit higher, but basically you're covered with all of your average 4 by 3 CRT resolutions. Um, it accepts that as the input. Uh, it sends the necessary sync signal to the composite video jack on the gun con, and then it also takes the PlayStation controller adapter and changes it into HID-compatible USB. And that's essentially it. Now, on the output side, it has a sync combiner built in as well, and it should have at least a VGA output. Um, I believe they're going to look into you know multiple outputs as well. Maybe not simultaneous, but at least you could have a choice. So this way, you could use it with a VGA CRT monitor in 480p or higher if for some reason you wanted to. You could use it with a Mr. or a Raspberry Pi that's outputting in actual original timings of these consoles. And you don't need anything else at this point. So you plug the gun con into the box, you plug the box into your Mr., let's say, and then you plug it into your CRT, and that's it. And it works with any game that's already compatible with a light gun, uh, and there's no configuration, there's no um, calibration or anything like that, there's no nothing you need to put on your TV. It's basically just going to work like a PlayStation gun con. And uh, the proof of concept is a little more than that. It's, it's really showing it working in multiple scenarios. And while there's no pre-order info or anything yet, um, I think it's really interesting. And it even interestingly works with the direct video uh, with Mr. that I just talked about for like 10 minutes before. So this, if it works as advertised, should be as accurate as an original light gun in any of these games. And also, it should have very minimal latency, about what you'd expect from any standard controller adapter. And overall, it should be the easiest way to have a light gun work on a CRT in any scenario. Of course, I'm super uh, excited to try both the Mister and any light gun arcade-based games with this as well. 
And, uh, you know, I got in touch with the person in charge of this, JB, and it seems like a product that's going to be done relatively soon. Hopefully I'll be able to buy a prototype in order to start testing. But this is a big deal for people that are fans of light gun games, especially on CRTs. Because while things like the Sinton light gun is awesome and it works on all displays, including flat panels, there is more to it than just plugging in a gun con and plugging it into your device. Um, there is some setup involved, and I, I'm not taking anything away from that project. It has its place, and it's awesome. But if you're a CRT fan and you want a more traditional light gun experience and you use any kind of emulation, this is probably going to be the way that you go about doing it. So I'll keep everybody posted. Uh, I'll try and keep in touch with JB. And uh, of course, you could follow on Twitter and YouTube and everything for direct updates. But I'm definitely fired up about this because I do love light gun games. Uh, and while I'm absolutely a fan of using original light guns, using snack adapters on Mr., um, I think this would probably be more cost-effective overall if you don't already own all of those different guns. And I'm interested to see how it's going to feel, if it's going to be the same experience or not. I think nostalgia might come into play here. If you just love the zapper, you're probably going to stick with a snack adapter and that. Uh, but the gun con's a great controller, and I think I would prefer it over even like the justifier and stuff like that. So we'll see. I'll try to get a prototype for testing, and I'll obviously keep everybody updated. There's a few updates to the Fenrir Optical Drive Emulator project for the Sega Saturn. First is the 21-pin version is nearing completion, which is compatible with all of the rest of the Sega Saturn models. So at the moment, if you want to use a Fenrir, you have to, before you purchase, open the top of your Saturn and see which model CD-ROM drive you're using, 20 or 21 pins. And there's only a board available for the 20-pin at the moment. This 21-pin version would cover all other models, so you, as long as you open your top and know which one you have, as soon as this is released, there would be a Fenrir available for whichever one that you have. Also, the price has been dropped about $20 to about $120 now, and it was already the cheapest optical drive emulator for the Saturn, but now it's even cheaper. And I do always like to see people go back when production streamlined and all of that, lower the price when available. I do think everybody really appreciates that as well, so that's good news. And also, it seems like another firmware was updated with a few bug fixes, as well as preparation for the 21-pin version has been added to that. So overall, it's great news. Um, I do have a lot of people ask me, what are my recommendations for any kind of ODE for the Saturn? And my answer is always kind of the same. Uh, if price is no issue, get the satiator because you can just plug it in. If something ever happens to the Saturn, you just unplug it from the back, plug it into another one, you're all good. Uh, but it is by far the most expensive option. So that's something to keep in mind. My next suggestion is always the Fenrir because of the price and functionality. It just works fine. Uh, it is the cheapest one and now even cheaper. So now that the 21-pin version's out, that's even more important because... Uh, now you don't have to worry about compatibility. You just have to make sure to buy the right one. And mode is the one I suggest for people that want to use something like a one terabyte SSD in there or something to get the full library and not have to spend money on an ex expensive micro SD card, because that's where the price of the mode really starts to seem uh, a little bit more fair. Because if you bought a Fenrir or a Satiator and a one terabyte micro SD, you're now over the price of a mode and a one terabyte SSD that's inside of it. So 
that hopefully puts things into perspective on what to expect for Saturns. Um, I certainly don't mean any disrespect at all on those suggestions or recommendations, and those are just my opinions as well. Uh, I meant all of that as compliments to each one, and I do really like it when there's products that offer something different to each other, because while they are competition, uh, it offers features that might be better for some people than others, which I always think is a good thing. So, uh, you know, if you're a fan of the Saturn, it's definitely a great time to like it because there's a lot of cool stuff out for it and coming out for it. But uh, anyway, if you're interested in the Fenrir, definitely check it out. But just one more time before you buy it, open up your Saturn and make sure you know which version you have before purchasing. Last weekend, Jimmy Hoppe and I did a live stream where I used a Mr. Cade to play console games that felt at home on an arcade machine. So the short, short version is I'm almost finished with a video about the Mr. Cade, a product that interfaces the Mr. into an arcade machine. And a point that I make very quickly in the video is that while I obviously love using it to play arcade games, I found myself really enjoying playing things that felt at home on an arcade, but were console exclusives in this Mr. Cade setup. So I thought it would make for a fun live stream, and I always love hanging out with Jimmy Hoppe anyway, so uh, I roped him into this one, and we went through and played a bunch of games that really truly felt fun and at home on an arcade machine that were console exclusives. And stuff like this is really only possible with emulation, whether it's hardware emulation like the Mr. Project or just a Raspberry Pi or something like that. It's still a very unique setup, and I really appreciated being able to experience the games this way. Uh, we also checked out a couple of Mr. Features. I didn't even realize auto fire was a thing. So, it, you know, we went through a lot thanks to the people in the chat. And it was just an absolute blast. So if you were looking for something like this, something kind of weird and unique, uh, or you just wanted to see the Mr. Cade in action uh, with its HDMI output being for the stream, um, check this out. And I will absolutely have the official fancier video on the Mr. Cade out fairly soon to give you all the details of kind of what it's about, how I integrated it into my setup and what you could expect with it. Well, that's it for this week. I know there was a whole lot of tech talk in this one. I usually try to keep the deep technical talk into the individual videos and stuff, but I do really love doing technical write-ups, not just videos. Uh, and this is the best place to communicate that. And I've also been working on a whole bunch of stuff that's either not able to be released yet or as bigger projects that won't be released for months. So uh, while I can't get as many videos out as I want, I've been trying to supplement that with live streams as well as with you know just writing good tech articles that take a really long time, but not as long as a full video on it as well. So hopefully it still fits in with these weekly roundup videos. If not, please let me know in the comments. I always listen to criticism and stuff like that. You know, I even listen to the ones that are worded badly, but as with everything in life, if you word something politely, it'll be taken a lot more serious than, hey, you moron. <laughs> so, you know, as always, uh, you know, whatever thoughts you have on any of this, if, if you have any at all, please share and I'll listen. And of course, thank you to everybody that watches and listens. Uh, and especially thank you to anybody who supports in absolutely any way. It's always so appreciated. So thank you very much. And I'll see you next week.